This is Thoughts from the Metal Cavern, where only one opinion matters, and it's not yours. G'day there, and thanks for interrupting your day to have a listen to what I've got to say on today's edition of Thoughts from the Metal Cavern. Now, for me today, it's about bloody 38 degrees, and the the wind is blowing from the west, making you feel like it's about 45 degrees. So, of course, it must be summer. No, of course, it's mid-March in Albion Park, where it's always bloody hot. But surprisingly, with cricket finals coming up, it's not raining at the moment, which is very, very unusual. Maybe because no Albion Park teams are really involved this year. Anyway, so you'd think we're moving into the winter months, and we're moving into the football. Then why am I sitting here watching the Sheffield Shield final round on KO? Well, because it's afternoon and not evening, and there's no such thing as afternoon football on a Thursday, is there? So I thought, well, why don't we have a look at what happened in India over the last month? Because that was of some interest to some people. And the fact that Australia once again failed to win back the Border Gavaskar Trophy but decided that we really needed to complain a lot about the wickets and the umpires and a little bit about the selectors, maybe it's worth just having a look back and seeing if things could have been done differently and whether the result could have been changed. So that will be the major basis of today's episode. So if that interests you in even the slightest, please hang around after the intro music as we get into today's fantastically exciting episode of Thoughts. From the Metal Cavern. So Australia has once again been on a test tour of India and once again fallen short of victory by, well, it feels like a small margin and it probably feels a lot smaller than the margin actually was because Australia lost this series 2-1. Now, to be honest, going over there and thinking we were going to win one test was probably difficult for most of us to believe. And after the first test... I don't think anyone thought we were going to get one test victory. And then after the second test, I think we're all thinking, how is this not going to be for Zip? Well, it didn't turn out that way for a couple of reasons, I guess. But how did we get to this point where we're coming home again? We've lost a series 2-1. It's the fourth series in a row that Australia have lost 2-1 to India. Two at home and two away. So how is it that India seemed to be able to do better in Australia than Australia and actually win two series in Australia for the first time in a thousand years, and yet Australia are still only one series victory in the last 50-something years when we tour India? So why are we not able to do better over there, and why did we finally find a way to sort of compete, and yet once again it was too late in the series? I don't know. 
And I think that's the problem is that in the long run, none of us really know. And there's a lot of ifs and buts and what ifs when it comes to the series just gone. And a lot of that to start with is to do with the selectors. Now going into that first test match where we decided that we would not pick Travis Head despite him being the form batsman of the Australian side for probably the last 18 months. And yes, he didn't score many runs in Sri Lanka or in Pakistan last year. And they decided that they were going to leave him out for the betterment of the team and keep Matt Renshaw in, who had played one test innings pretty much since that last Indian tour. Peter Hanscom got brought in and a lot of people felt that that was also the wrong thing to do. But he's been our best player of spin for some time, apart from those who are already in the test team. And he's been one of the highest scorers in the Sheffield Shield over the last two years. Now, that's not necessarily a great judge of things because the Sheffield Shield is at possibly its weakest ever moment in the history of the competition. So runs scored and wickets taken are a little bit with a dose of salt. You just don't know if they're actually uh, the numbers that are coming out are worthy of recognition. But he hadn't done anything wrong, Peter Hanscom. In the last tour of uh, India, he'd gone over there and scored a century. So the theory behind that was fine. But the dropping of Travis Head just didn't make any sense whatsoever. And then, of course, we decided that we were going to play two spinners. Now, we played Nathan Lyon, and we played Todd Murphy, who made his debut. And yet, the other two spinners who had been taken over were Ashton Agar, who had played the last test in Sydney, who was the left-arm orthodox spinner, and Mitchell Swepson, who was the right-arm leg spinner. Now, whether this proves what I think is correct or not is not really up for discussion, because I'd felt all along that wrist spinners in India don't generally have much success. If they did, India would pick them more often, and they haven't. They always pick finger spinners. And when you've got spinners like uh, Aksar Patel and Ravindra Jadeja sorry, and uh, Ravi Ashwin, then why would you pick anybody else? So they always pick finger spinners, and Australia needed that. And it felt as though perhaps the left-arm orthodox was going to get a run. And of course, Agar didn't, and didn't for the whole series. Because then, after that first test, when Swepson went home, they brought over Matthew Kuhneman, who, in my eyes, should have been picked in the first place. And then he made his test debut and he played the next three tests. And when Swepson returned, he didn't get a game either. So the spinners were all very strange. Now, the picking of Murphy proved to be brilliant. He bowled very well. He took seven wickets in that first test. And he was excellent all the way through and rarely got taken for runs. So that one worked out okay. And I remember saying at the end of the first test that perhaps Lyon shouldn't be picked. And of course, he was then our major wicket taker for the rest of the series. So once again, I've enabled Nathan Lyon to take lots of wickets. But that was where our problems seemed to lie in the first place. Now, the fact that uh, Stark and Cameron Green had gone over there, but were not ready to play until the third test, also made things difficult. And then, of course, Pat Cummins coming home because of the uh, illness and then subsequent uh, passing of his mother also made things difficult because then we had a new captain for the last two tests. And the whole thing for Australia just didn't work. Now, for India, that 
they didn't have things all their own way either. Obviously, uh, Jasper Boomer was unavailable. Uh, Mohamed Shami bowled very well, but then for some reason was rested for the third test. That didn't make any sense, and then brought back for the fourth, and then there was changing of their fast bowlers. That seemed really strange for the third test, uh, which they eventually lost, when Shami had seemed like the most penetrative of their seamers, and yet he wasn't playing, and it wasn't through injury. Eventually, of course, uh, Travis Head made his way back into the test team when, firstly, uh, we had our wonderful opening batsman, David Warner, was ruled out with concussion, even though he had basically fractured an elbow. But the concussion came first, and so he was subbed out, and Head came in for the second innings of that test, and then opened for the last two tests where we had great uh, visionaries such as uh, Brendan Julie and others saying, oh, he should have opened all along as an opening batsman in this test series, which honestly, still to me, doesn't make any sense. But there's another problem in itself, the David Warner problem. So he's played two tests over there, <clears throat> hasn't made any runs. Pretty much the only innings he's played of any note was the 200 he played in Melbourne uh, in against South Africa in his 100th test when once again he had something riding on the match and he delivered. And he's done that in the past a lot and he's quite amazing at it. But all of these old problems that have been with him now for about three or four years, um, his eye, his nerve, his pushing out at the ball from around the wicket, they're still there. And he is basically just a passenger at the moment. And the fact that he had to go home with that injury and the concussion for the last two tests has really opened up an interesting scenario for selection further down the track. But let's not go there quite yet. So Australia's batsmen, of course, threw it away in that second test with just an hour of madness at the crease where they all decided they were going to sweep everything from the Indian spinners and they missed everything and got out. And Australia just gave that test away and suddenly it was 2-0. India couldn't lose the series. They couldn't lose the trophy. And perhaps a little bit, India just sort of eased off a bit. Because their performance in the last two tests was nowhere near as intense as it was in those first two tests. And Australia had a lot to prove to try and come back and show that they were not just passengers. So the series as a whole sort of was all over and done with by the end of that second test. Now we could talk about the pitches that were served up in India for all four test matches. And we saw two very much spinning tracks in the first test. We saw the quite abysmal wicket for the third test um, that India probably thought was going to benefit them and yet Australia were the ones who came out on top. And then the fourth test where they had to make sure that they could not possibly lose. So if they lost, then they would have been in danger of missing out on the World Test Championship final. And so the flattest track of the series was rolled out and it showed because even though runs weren't scored quickly by either side, wickets fell very slowly. So, 2-1 for the series. Did Australia do enough to show that they can do this overseas? Well, Kawaja was, again, the shining light with the bat at the top of the order. Uh, Labashane batted well on occasions. Steve Smith didn't do a lot, but perhaps 
that's his role now. I think we've gotten to a point in his career where he's not going to dominate as he used to when he was at his absolute peak four or five years ago. He's now going to be that batter at number four who will deliver runs, but perhaps not without, well, perhaps without the centuries that have marked his um, career before this. A lot like Alan Border did for a number of years between 1988 and 1991. He didn't score a test century for three years, but he kept contributing runs and helping Australia to either save games or win games. And perhaps that's going to be Steve Smith's role now in the twilight of his career. Perhaps uh, his ability to dominate test matches has now passed. It's quite possible, though I'm completely wrong, but... It just feels that way to me now that he's he's not because he's not going on and scoring the hundreds that he used to, that maybe that part is just going to come to an end. Uh Travis Head, well, as we know, didn't play the first test and ended up, I think, uh being second in the averages and second in the aggregate anyway. Selectors have got a lot to answer for for that. And they've said nothing. There's not been an apology. There hasn't been an actual a reasoning behind the fact that he was left out. And apparently Travis Head had what he called robust discussions with the selectors, where I can imagine the kind of language he would have used once he found out that he was not playing. Pretty piss-poor selections. And it wasn't the last of them, really. And it probably won't be again, as we will soon find out, I think, when they pick the team to go to England for the World Test Championship final and then the Ashes following that. Alex Carey had a, well, not poor is uh, not the right word for his batting on the tour. It was uh, abysmal. Uh, his keeping was still solid, though, but he'd be very disappointed with the fact that he basically could not score a run in that series. And anyone who thinks that uh, his spot is secure, well, I think you'll find that Josh Inglis is still very high in the minds of the national selectors as a test keeper batsman so I think Alex Carey needs to ensure that when they have this uh, series in England that he makes consistent runs because I think the pressure will still be on him despite his keeping being very good especially to the spinners and as for our bowlers well our fast bowlers did enough Cummins was terrible in that first test does anyone remember how poorly he bowled in that first innings and really let the game get away from that, that point. And Rohit Sharma just carted him everywhere and scored that century that set up that first test win. And then he bowled okay in the second, and of course he was at home for the last two. Stark did what he could do on the wickets he was served up, which was uh, not a lot. And then Scott Boland again played the first test, and that was all he played, and he did the best he could do in those. And Cameron Green bowled his few overs when necessary. So... For the seam bowlers, their test is still to come. But the spinners, uh, by India's own words from the coach, uh, Raul Dravid, and by uh, Jadeja and Ashwin, all said that this was the best Australian spin tack that they'd faced in the last decade. In fact, the best spin tack of any country they'd faced in the last decade. So there's lots of good news out of that, uh, especially Todd Murphy's efforts and also Matthew Kuhneman, who bowled very well. But it just shows that going forward, uh, when Nathan Lyon does finally call it quits, that we do have a couple of spinners there who are 
able to play test cricket and bowl in a test match and not only contain but also take wickets. And we haven't been in that position for a very long time, probably not since Stuart McGill was um, behind Shane Warne. Have we been able to say that we have someone to replace our number one spinner if they get injured or they retire? So maybe now we finally do. And let's just hope that they get the opportunity to continue playing test cricket, even given that the surfaces are more relatable for our fast bowlers, uh, and that they continue to get plenty of bowling leading up to the point where Nathan Lyon does finally say, ta-ta. Man out at long on, but he needs to be 25 seats back. However, the next thing is, well, the next thing is now the one day is in India, which no one cares about. And then there's the IPL, which no one cares about. And then a week after the IPL finishes is the World Test Championship final, which will be between Australia and India, but it will be played at the Oval in England. Completely different conditions, you would suspect, than what they've been facing in the last month. So what does that mean for Australia and the team they need to select to not only go over and play in this World Test Championship final, but also to play in the five-test Ashes series that follows it. It's a pretty important series for Australia. We all know how England have been playing in the last 12 months, that they have completely changed their mindset due to a change in captaincy and to a change of uh, coach and a complete change of mindset overall when it comes to playing Test cricket. And it's interesting that in the last 12 months, their white ball cricket has declined after they've been the best in the world in the white ball game for the last probably four years or so. But suddenly, their test results have turned around. Now, most of those have been in England itself. At the start of last year, England lost the series to the West Indies in the West Indies, and then that's when all the changes occurred that have brought about where they are now, to the point that they are chasing Totals of 350 plus in the fourth innings of a test match to win, uh, where they are uh, bowling with great aggression to try and win test matches, uh, and where they have lost a test match by a run uh, (laughs) in the efforts of trying to win a test when they could have been playing for a draw. So it's great for test cricket, and of course, uh, it's been dubbed Bazball, which some people like and some people don't. The big question with Bazball is, can it be sustained against one of the top nations uh, whose bowling is uh, faster, more accurate, and able to do more than the teams that England have been playing against? And can their batting sustain that? And also, can can their batting uh, also do as well as their bowling? Uh, in regards to continuing to play Test Match Cricket at the pace that they are playing it. And it means, can their bowlers contain Australia's batting in this instance? We won't know, and we won't know for four or five months. But it should be fun finding out. And there'll be two things that will either come out of this. I think it'll either prove that England's uh, change of mentality is a great thing for Test Cricket and for England, and they will defeat Australia in the Ashes and they will be heralded the world over, and that they'll be able to continue to rise up the Test rankings uh, and hopefully continue to see Test cricket boom 
or they'll get found out by an Australian team that is able to uh, defeat the way that England play cricket, and then they will have to reassess whether or not the style of play that they have against top nations needs to change than the way they play against lesser nations. And again, I don't know what the answer will be, because at the moment, when you watch England play, you think that they cannot sustain the way that they bat, at least, uh, at the pace they bat and the way that they throw the bat around. And you would think that uh, a team with good fast bowling on seeming wickets will find them undone. But we'll have to wait and see. And then you'd have to think that eventually, even though we said this four years ago, and probably said this eight years ago, that England's bowling attack is getting too old and that, you know, Anderson and Broad can't be as effective as they were four years ago or eight years ago. And that is completely and utterly constantly shown to be false because they continue to deliver the goods. When it comes to picking Australia's team for this series and for the India final match, there probably aren't going to be too many changes apart from the bowling, because the bowling that was selected to go to India will be completely revamped. But it's the batting that is probably going to be the most interesting source, because you would have to assume that Kawaja, Labashane, Smith, Head and Green will all pick themselves as five of those batters. And the selectors have already started making noises and pretty much saying that David Warner will definitely be chosen to go on that tour and he will definitely play in that first match of the, the World Test Championship final. Now, they might be saying that, but is that the right thing to do? Does Warner deserve selection? Can they take David Warner in his current form and his current funk and expect him to perform in England in English conditions again? We all know what happened on the last tour. Stuart Broad came around the wicket and just wiped him out. And that's not going to change because he looks worse now against the ball coming around the wicket than he did four years ago. And there's no way that England are going to bowl anything but that to him. So he either has to, in a very short space of time, find a way to combat that, which he hasn't done over the last four years, or he's useless to the team and they need to pick somebody else. The problem then is, who is that someone else going to be? They will have to take a reserve opener, at least one. And realistically, the only guys who have put their hand up in this current season in the Sheffield Shield are Cameron Bancroft and Marcus Harris. And one of them has not played for Australia since the last Ashes tour when he was brought in after his ban. And he failed and was dropped and hasn't been seen since. And the other one was brought in when he was banned and played a number of tests and played some over there in the Ashes Tour four years ago, and then has seen extraordinarily little cricket since, because they've tried other people at the top of the order. So both of them are outcasts, and while both of them have scored runs at shield level, when they've been given their chances in recent times, they have failed with the bat for Australia. So does that mean that you go with who you know, and you hope that Warner comes good? Or do we just say we need to pick one of these guys and just give them the whole series and see if they can actually score some runs? I can't wait to see what the answer is. And I, you know, as sure as eggs are eggs, they will take Warner and he will be playing in that first test. And one of those two will go as well. And my gut feeling tells me that it will be Cameron Bancroft. 
Apart from that, they still need to find a reserve batsman. Now, they took Peter Henscombe and Matthew Renshaw to India. Does anyone really believe that either of those guys will go again? Because as well as uh, Henscombe has done over in India, he still didn't score enough runs to really nail his position down. And Renshaw has had his chance, and if Renshaw goes, it is more likely that he'll be going as a reserve opening bat rather than a middle-order bat. Now, is there anybody else at the moment who they could think of taking for that reserve batter's spot? Well, the same old people keep raising their heads, and unfortunately you've got guys like they'll be saying, oh, Glenn Maxwell, oh, Mitch Marsh, all these guys who have played one Red Bull game in the last four years and who have been injured, but are suddenly fit again to play in the one-day competition in India, and they'll say, oh, look, they're scoring runs. Let's pick them again, and we can play them as the reserve uh, all-rounder, I guess, for the Australian team, in case Cameron Green doesn't come good. That would be really, really terrible and awful, as it turns out. And as I said before, when it comes to the Sheffield Shield this season, there are only two batters who have averaged over 40 with the bat this season. One of them is Cameron Bancroft, who I've nominated as the reserve opener, and the other is Peter Hanscombe. So does he go to England, or will they just find him out with his technique on seeming pitches? Or do you go with somebody else? Again, I don't know the answer. My guess is they're going to have to take two keepers, which will be both Carey and Josh Inglis. Do one of them stand up as the spare batter? I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't see how you could do that. But then you've got to find a spare batter to take who isn't Peter Hanscom or Matt Renshaw or Josh Inglis. And at the moment, in Australia, we don't have anyone who's doing enough, except for one person. The only other person out there who has showed any form, and he's done it in all three forms of the game this summer, is Matt Short. Now, he's scored his debut century in all three formats of the game this summer, in the BBL, in the one-day game, and at Shield level. And he continues to make run at Shield level. Now, he's only just averaging 40 with the bat, but he's also a handy off-spin bowler, someone who can come into the team, if necessary, to bat at number six, like Cameron Green, and be a very solid bat and also offer a few overs if needed. Are they going to go with him? I find it hard to believe that he will be picked. But he's one that should probably be considered, given the fact that there is a dearth of runs um, worthy of someone putting their name up and saying, please pick me. And that's where Australia are in real trouble when it comes to their test team at the moment. The bowling should be more straightforward. You'd expect that Stark, Cummins and Hazelwood and Boland will be four of the pace bowlers chosen, that Nathan Lyon will be the spinner, and that a backup spinner will be taken, most likely Todd Murphy, uh, unless they want to go the second option with Koonerman, but I think Todd Murphy has shown and deserves his chance to be the second spinner in any touring party. So then you've got probably one bowling spot open, one backup seamer. Now, Jai Richardson has got injured. He's going in for more surgery, and it's going to put him out of the IPL, and therefore puts him out of being that extra seamer, which would have been perfect for England. You can only imagine that he would have been fantastic in English conditions. 
The obvious person to take if you're taking horses for courses like they did in India is Michael Neeser. Uh He's played two tests now, three tests now, and has always done the job with the ball, and you can only imagine that he would be even more effective in England, and he can also bat. So if he comes into the team and bats at eight or nine or ten, it doesn't matter, he can bat and add some runs. So here's the, here's the number one scenario for that. Of course, Lance Morris was uh, dubbed the wild thing this year and he was in the test squad uh, for the end of the series out in Australia and then the whole time over in India. Hasn't played a test yet. Are they likely to continue to take him and just say that he's the wow factor if they decide that they need someone? Or is he a risky proposition given the way England currently bat that perhaps he might be a bit wayward and his wayward quick bowling is exactly what they feast on? rather than if you had Nisa there, who could move the ball off the seam and in the air and work out any little problems that the England batting might have. In the long run, the only other two would be Mark Steckity or Will Sutherland, who's had a breakout year as well. But at the moment, it's probably too early for him. If it was me, I'd be picking Nisa. So there you go. That's today's cricket-related episode of Thoughts from the Metal Cavern. How many of these things are true and how many things will become true? Very few. For those of you who have made it this far, once again, thank you for tuning in and I appreciate the fact that you wished to listen to this to find out exactly how wrong I could be. And if you like hearing how wrong I can be, Remember, tune in to the next episode of Thoughts from the Metal Thoughts from the Metal Cavern. That's because I can't even say it properly. That's how wrong I am. And see just where the next episode could lead. Anyway, Thoughts from the Metal Cavern, signing off. Cheers. You have been listening to a Metal Cavern production.